You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post. So much drama on Capitol, uh, uh, on Capitol Hill and lots of it centered around House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who stands to become the next House Speaker when Republicans assume the majority uh, in January, assuming he can find 218 votes. So here with the lowdown on all of that, Leanne Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and co-author of the early 202 newsletter. Leanne, welcome back to First Look. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. So you had a story in the paper yesterday about uh, Republican disunity on Capitol Hill, which could impact McCarthy's quest for the speaker's gavel. What's the fuss all about? Yeah, so let's just stick to the House side when we're, since we're talking about McCarthy. There is discontent on the Senate side, too. We can get to that later if you want. But um, the real drama is happening in the House. And it's all, as you laid out in your lead, is McCarthy's quest to be Speaker of the House. And there continues to be five Republican holdouts on uh, saying that they, in a block, will not support him. They are members of the House Freedom Caucus. Um, they are making all sorts of demands on Kevin McCarthy. They want um, you know, more seats on committees. Uh, they want more influence in the party. But the big sticking point is they want this House rule to be reinstated that allows any member of Congress to call for the recall of the Speaker of the House. It is called the motion to vacate for any, any like policy House Congress wonks out there. And mm -hmm. it was done away with during uh, Speaker Pelosi's last speakership. Um, these far right members want that implemented. Um, and so, these are all sorts of demands that Kevin McCarthy was not entertaining several months ago, but because he still does not yet have the votes to be speaker, he's actually engaging in conversations and negotiations with these people to try to figure out how to pick them off. And meanwhile, the moderates who usually don't engage in these hardball tactics are trying to flex their own muscles to try to counter what the far right is saying and doing in support of Kevin McCarthy. They're calling themselves the OK Caucus, which means only Kevin. They won't support anyone mm. else. Um, and so it is really tumultuous as it's coming down to the wire for Kevin McCarthy as that speaker vote is on January 3rd. Right. And, and talk uh, when it comes to these Republican moderates, at one point a couple weeks ago, one of the one of the OKs um, was talking about how they would, you know, if McCarthy can't get 218, they'd go across the aisle and maybe look for Democratic votes. And how crazy would that be? Is that still something that these moderates, I think it was Congressman Bacon, if I remember, I might have yeah. that wrong, you tell me, but um, who who floated, at, floated that out there two weeks ago, is that still something that they would seriously consider doing? It was Congressman Bacon of Nebraska. He's really become a ringleader um, of the moderate faction of the party, which has been really interesting. But um, um, there are all sorts of ideas, Jonathan, and there's really no clear answer yet. I think that uh, 
working with and cooperating with Democrats for the next Speaker of the House, that's a bit of a pipe dream. Um, people have floated Liz Cheney. People have uh, floated um, perhaps someone like Brian Fitzpatrick, who is a Republican moderate, um, has lots of friends on the Democratic side. Uh, but it's unclear. I don't think that Democrats, that, that would also be a very hard vote for Democrats politically to support yeah. a Republican speaker. Um, you can see that in campaign ads in a very short while, if that were to be the case. And so what seems to be the most viable option is ensuring these moderates stay together. And if this goes vote after vote after vote on January 3rd, the moderates insist they are not backing down. They will not support any other candidate. They're just going to have to drag this out until the person, until one side gets tired and caves. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. It's, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy has given up a lot to be speaker, a lot of his power. Um, he has, wants this desperately. And we'll see how this plays out. Well, yeah, well, uh, speaking, I mean, yes, he wants it desperately. But he also is sounding very confident. Listen to what he had to say on Fox News last weekend about um, his quest. Well, actually, just watch how confident he sounds in this clip. Our goal was to stop the Biden agenda, to win the majority, and fire Nancy Pelosi. We achieved all of those. At the same time, if you watch other Republicans, in the Senate they lost, the governors lost. We've been able to win. This, we are the only line of defense. And what we need to do is find a way that we come together. We had our primary after the election. I won 85% of the vote. I believe at the end of the day, we'll all find a place to get together. Mm -hmm. I believe at the end of the day, we'll all find a place to get together. I mean, is he trying to will this into existence? Yeah, that was his campaign pitch right there. I mean, that has been Kevin McCarthy's pitch to his conference for at least two years, perhaps longer. Unity. They are a big tent. They all need to be on the same side. Um, and this is why he has brought into the fold Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, people like that. Um, and accepted them as part of the party. And so he continues to maintain that that is what is going to be best for the party, that they need to turn their attention to Democrats and President Biden, um, but they're unable to do it. And it's interesting with some of these five members who are just so resistant to Kevin McCarthy, some of it's personal. It's not just that they don't trust him as being a true conservative and someone who will, you know, fight on issues like the debt limit and government funding, but someone like Matt Gates of Florida, he really, really dislikes Kevin McCarthy and it goes back years. And so it, when, when there's these personal feelings that are involved, it's going to be very hard to change these members' minds, even if Kevin McCarthy gives away the house. Mm -hmm. So Leanne, real quickly, uh, let's talk about the Senate side. And we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about the Senate side, but I think that's because unlike in the House, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, he's already been reelected Senate Minority yeah. Leader. So talk about the, he's got his own issues, but being named leader isn't one of them. That's exactly right. Um, there was an attempt to try to challenge Mitch McConnell for the first time in years that he's had a challenger for leader, and that was Rick Scott of Florida. Um, we know this beef between them has been going on for the for most of the campaign cycle. 
uh, Rick Scott was in charge of, of, you know, the Republican campaign arm. Um, and and so Mitch McConnell, though, was reelected handily. Uh, so he has still has the support of most of the people in his conference. But the fact that 13 members did vote against him uh, shows that he is going to have to take into consideration some of those members on the far right who are demanding reining in government spending. They are demanding that there is a clear agenda uh, for the Republican Party set of principles that these members think that we're not, um, you know, relayed, relayed to voters in the last midterms. And they think that's part of the reason why they lost in 2024 or 2022 when Mitch McConnell thinks it was because of Donald Trump and candidate quality there. So, so there is some division there. So what's going to happen now, McConnell still has control of his conference, but they are going to try to push his hand on some of these uh, big issues next year, even though they're going to be in the minority on issues like government spending, Jonathan. Which will which will put some pressure on Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to hold all 51 of his Democrats, well, folks who vote most of the time with Democrats, <laughs> with Democrats in the next Congress. Yeah, that's a great point because you also Real have quick. to think of some of the new Republicans who are coming in and the Republicans that are leaving. You have people like Rob Portman of Ohio and Roy Blunt of uh, um, Missouri and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. These are all people, they're very conservative, but they are also people who believe in the institution. They want to work sometimes across the aisle. They're willing to vote across the aisle and they don't want the place to go up in flames. Instead, you're gonna have people like J.D. Vance coming in um, who don't have that same mentality. So the new crop of Republican senators that are coming in are probably also going to join with the ones that are currently there, the Mike Lees, Rand Pauls, Ted Cruz's, who want to cause problems and are maybe okay with government shutdowns. So McConnell is going to have less votes, um, reliable votes on his side next time. Leanne Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and co-author of the Early 202 newsletter. Thank you, as always, for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. Of course, you too. Going to keep the conversation going with the Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post Associate Editor Ruth Marcus and Washington Post columnist Hugh Hewitt. Ruth, Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Good Hi, to be good back. morning. I feel like we could have just kept going with Leanne because I was learning so much from her. <laughs> well, well, then let's keep well let's keep this this um, this going the that part of the the conversation, um, and specifically on, I mean. I understand the travails of Mitch McConnell, but he's already the leader. He's already been voted in. Um, he's a wily, um, brilliant political strategist and knows the rules of the Senate better than anybody else in the chamber. However, in the House, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is having a time of it. And Leanne just said he's been, when we showed that clip from Fox News, that's been his pitch for two years. Hugh, why is it that after two years of making that same pitch, he is still trying to get to 218? 
Uh, we have a knucklehead caucus in the GOP conference, and the knucklehead conference consists of five people. I had uh, Leader McCarthy, soon to be Speaker McCarthy, on my radio show about an hour ago. The quote is, they have not moved. That's the takeaway that he told me an hour ago on the air. The five have not moved. And I then just, I, I have been told reliably by a number of members, the heat is building on Matt Gates in particular, and he has felt the blowback because he's screwing up the transition in very uh, granular ways. They can't hire staff. The staff members are, are moving to other jobs. It's kind of a nightmare, but they have not moved, and those five knuckleheads are still screwing it up. Why didn't Nancy Pelosi with 222 have this problem? Because her caucus is a caucus, and the Republicans are not yet. And you recently wrote a column, Hugh, calling on Republicans to stop, stop the bickering, and you advise, quote, infighting will waste time and momentum. Get on with the job. Why are they ignoring your advice? Uh, because I'm not a right winger. I'm, I'm with David Joyce and the Governance Caucus. David Joyce is my home congressman from Ashtabula, Trumbull, and Mahoney County. The vast majority of Republicans want Kevin to be the speaker, and he will be the speaker eventually. All that these five people are trying to do is get themselves some perks, get themselves some leverage, and I think they're losing the caucus and the base. I mean, Ruth, I'm, I'm taken by what Hugh just said, that Kevin McCarthy will eventually be the speaker, but how strong of a speaker will he be if, if he does succeed? How much will he trade away so much that he'll be basically speaker in name only? Well, <clears throat> that is why uh, he is trying so hard to avoid this motion to vacate that Leanne was educating all of us about, because that means that he's would mean that he spent his entire speakership um, walking across a tightrope every single day, and the tightrope would get more and more wobbly. Um, but even if he manages um, not to accept the motion to vacate, which would allow him to be toppled at any moment. Um, the more the knuckleheads hold out, and Leanne makes a very important point. Look, we go through this with every speaker, but there was a lot of talk about, could Pelosi get her troops in line? Answer always with Pelosi, yes. Uh, <clears throat> there were arguments against other speakers who, uh, Paul Ryan, who didn't seem to have enough votes. They always pull it out in the end. The potential difference this time around, and I agree with you, the knuckleheads will eventually knuckle under. Thanks, thanks for that line, Hugh. And uh, late in the morning, but I did it. Um, but 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 the, but these knuckleheads are different from previous knuckleheads in the sense that they really don't actually care about governing. And by the way, Hugh, maybe more than five knuckleheads, maybe five you know particular knuckleheads. But that crazy caucus is uh, pretty crazy. And the longer this goes on, and the more uh, Kevin McCarthy has to concede the more empowered and crazy they are. And I wonder from the point of view of Democrats, whether they should be um, celebrating that because they'll overreach and alienate voters or whether they should be lamenting it because it really means that more craziness happens, more unwarranted impeachments happen. I really, I've covered three presidential impeachments. I really don't wanna cover a fourth though, you know, I guess it would fill up my impeachment bingo card or close to it, uh, but it's not, this is, I hate to um, find myself in the odd position of rooting for Kevin McCarthy, but I am, I guess, against the Knucklehead Caucus. <laughs> well, you know, the New, the New York Times had a story um, about Leader McCarthy's travails, and there was an interesting, interesting line in there about how former President Donald Trump is, according to the reporting, working the phones behind the scenes 
to help Kevin McCarthy. And I'm wondering, Hugh, do you believe that? And do you believe, if so, do you believe Trump is doing it enthusiastically? I don't know. I've heard actually conflicting things. And I've heard that Don Jr. is actually uh, laying it on heavy on Matt Gates. Uh, when we monetized eccentricity, when people began to be able to make money and be famous by being eccentric in the House, that brought in a raft of people on the right who like to take position for the purposes of generating publicity and small dollar donations to themselves. At some point, the eccentricities become genuine obstacles, and we're there. And so Matt Gates might get primary. The other five, I mean, Bob Good's going to be Bob Good. Uh, Norman looks like he's moving in the right direction, and we'll see what happens with Andy Biggs, who I've always thought was a pretty good guy. But it, it really is bothering many, many people on both technical and transition grounds, but on substantive grounds. The Select Committee on China is a big deal. Akeem Jeffries, again, going back to what the leader told me an hour ago, Akeem Jeffries is working with Leader McCarthy to get the Select Committee on China stood up with responsible bipartisan effort. And these five people are screwing that all up. And if you're concerned about China, and we all should be, everyone, left, right, and center, then you look at these five people and you say, honest to goodness, are you really going to make the, uh, the squad more responsible than the knucklehead caucus, and they're doing that in real time. Um, Ruth, um, <laughs> I'm Hugh, I'm taken by your, your choice of words, monetizing eccentricity, because my mind immediately went to the $99 <laughs> NFTs that the former president um, is now selling, and Ruth, I don't know if you've seen the full the full video uh, of this, but I somehow mean I that, that. Go ahead. No, I said somehow I missed it, but I'm sorry. Ask your question. Oh, you did. Sorry. Oh, okay. So I'll just leave that off to the side. But do yourself a favor and 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 watch it because it's bananas. Hugh, come on, you have to agree with me I on this. That... I don't know the story. You what? I not know the story. I was covering the fact that The Economist this morning estimated China's going to lose a million and a half people to the COVID epidemic. Okay. That's what I was right. covering. Okay, Ruth, Ruth you, know this, you know the story. Um, just when you think a former president of the United States cannot go any lower, debase the aura of his former office anymore, you find uh, Donald Trump, Hugh, you saw this. Um, he, he teed up, teased a big announcement, major news. The major news is, yes, you have yet another way to throw away your money on Donald Trump, this time with a trading card. I don't know. How many are there, Jonathan? There's I don't know, but apparently they say they're sold out. Well, I'm so disappointed. I should have done a little online Hanukkah shopping a little earlier. Um, <laughs> this, You know, I, I can't even, he must be in a lot of financial trouble, which is really surprising because, well, it's not surprising, but he had—he first had the RNC paying his legal bills, and now I assume he can have his presidential campaign pay his legal bills. That Those are the big expenses, but I guess $99 here and $99 there, and soon you're talking about real money. Real I got to go find well, that. Actually, yeah, can you I bring up, I, I want to talk about the Agnew option, which I think is really behind a lot of this fundraising. The Agnew option in, in October of 1973, Spiro Agnew was presented with an overwhelming case of his legal problems, and he chose to plead nolo and resign. I'm wondering whether or not the former president is going to be so weighed down by these controversies and the need to raise money and the need to pay lawyers, real lawyers, real money, 
that he doesn't accept sort of some sort of universal deal to leave the public stage. Do you, either of you think that makes sense? Well, I think that's a really interesting question, but unlike with Agnew, who was facing one prosecution from one sovereign entity, the United States government, um, he has, there's a three ring circus, at least four ring circus, and I'm going to probably come up with five if we keep going or one will pop up. He's got the Georgia grand jury. He's got the New York prosecutor. He's got the special counsel at the Justice Department. And he's got, um, well, the other, the special counsel of the Justice Department looking at the other issue. So am I missing one here? New York State Attorney General. I said, I said that. She said that one. Okay. And I, 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 that on, yes, I want full credit. So, yeah. so that's a lot of people with a lot of differing cases and a lot of differing political instincts who you would have to come together on the one side. And then on the other side, um, no low contendere, which means I'm not contesting this finding uh, against me is almost the opposite of the Donald Trump ethos, which is always deny, always deny, even if they have the tape, just deny it. So I don't see either set of parties coming up with the Agnew option, even though he will probably be good for the country in many ways. Well, that, All right, I, I do think you don't, you don't need to know, though. I think you could arrange a general settlement, but you need to get the AG of, of New York, the two prosecutors in Georgia and city of New York together with the DOJ led by the special counsel. It would be complicated. Okay, I'm going to interrupt this legal seminar to focus on the economy because Ruth, on Tuesday, President Biden touted good news about inflation, pointing out that prices in November rose 7.1% compared to 2021, and that's the smallest year-over-year -year increase in, a, in many, many months. Uh, from your vantage point, is inflation becoming uh, less of a threat to the economy? Um, inflation is becoming less of a threat to the economy very slowly and honestly very painfully for the people who are really hit by that 7.1% increase. You know, we say that President Biden can tout that as good news, but if you're living from paycheck to paycheck and your wages aren't going up to keep up with that 7%, it's really painful. And at the same time, even if there is good news on inflation, and by the way, um, A, I am not blaming President Biden for this, and B, if Republicans insist that if only they had the White House, they would be taming inflation. I would like to know what it is that they would be doing that would be taming inflation. But even as inflation hopefully slows, we are also seeing a slowing um, uh, in the economy. And that is one of the things that contributed to the stock market sell off yesterday. I've been trying to convince my husband not to look at the stock market day to day because it's not good for his blood pressure, which means it's not good for my blood pressure. So so you have, you know, this this trade off. You want to get you want to get under inflation under control. You want to do it by slowing the economy, but not slowing it so fast that it crashes and burns. You want that fabled soft landing. That's right. um, the phase that we're moving into now. And no one, certainly not me, uh, knows how bumpy that landing is going to be. And Hugh, it's the Federal Reserve that's in charge of um, completing this soft landing. They just did the seventh rate hike uh, in this year alone. Uh, this one was just half a percentage point. How would you evaluate um, how the Fed is doing to control inflation and bring us in for that soft landing? 
I think it's the necessary pain. I'm with Ruth's husband. I look too often because I have to report it every morning. The NASDAQ is down 35% this year. The S&P is down, I think, 22 and the and the Dow down 18%. Been miserable for investors. We're going to go into a recession. There are lots of la- There's lots of bad things in the economy. The inflationary spike began with the Biden spending in 2021. And that will be the Republican argument forever, whether or not anyone watching buys it. That is my belief, too much money chasing too few goods, classic monetarist assessment. But I don't I don't blame President Biden right now. I do blame congressional Democrats for wanting to match defense spending increases with uh, discretionary non-defense spending increases in the current CR or omnibus. We don't need to spend more money. We got to spend less money except on defense. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got about three minutes left and I'm gonna use all of those three minutes to put the spotlight on one Ruth Marcus, because here at the Washington Post, the most prestigious honor an employee can receive is the Eugene Meyer Award. And Ruth was one of this year's recipients. Ruth, talk about the meaning of receiving the Eugene Meyer Award. Well, um, since this seems, thank Jonathan, you you can't ambush me like that. Um, that is so sweet. Um, <laughs> I've been at the Washington Post for 38 years. Um, I did not imagine when I walked in there on September 4th, 1984, that that's where I would be spending the rest of my career. But um, every day of it, um, I I said the other night, uh, there have been some days that are boring, but the boring days have been all my fault. I've had 13 different jobs at the Post. Each one of them has um, taught me something and been um, incredibly fun. And what I think my 38 years is about is about um, the community that we've built at the Post. Um, we all came together after the death of our editorial page editor, Fred Hyatt, to grieve together to keep the section going together. Um, there have been many times when things, went, in good times and bad, Mrs. Graham, uh, Catherine Graham, our late um, publisher and uh, chairman of the board came to my book group one night to talk about her autobiography. She didn't need to do that, but she asked me to change the date so it could be a date that she could come. When one of my colleagues' daughters was tragically killed, Ben Bradley and Don Graham scrambled to make sure we could get a plane to get him to Boston, even though all the flights had already left for the night. Um, what what this award, which is so meaningful, um, especially because it comes from the legacy of the Graham family, means to me is that I work um, with and for a wonderful institution um, with wonderful people like the two of you. Um, and thank you so much for being a part of my, I don't want to get sappy, um, for being a part of my Post family. Well, I have to say, you know, I'm a newbie compared to you and I've been here 15, <laughs> I've been here 15 I'm years. The rookie. One, oh, right, you're, you're the rookie, I'm the newbie. And one of the things that impressed me the most um, in my first months at the paper was that it immediately you felt that you had you had joined a family that Don Graham knew every and I saw it with my own eyes. He knew everybody's name. Elevator door opens. He sees them. He, he calls them by their name. You're right. It, it, it is a family. And um, Ruth, you and I have been colleagues for 15 years. I've seen you in action. Um, and especially after the passing, after Fred's passing, um, you stepped in in ways that helped um, help save the section because it could have fallen apart. Fred was such, he was our bedrock uh, and you helped hold it together. Well, uh, so- that is 
kind of you, Jonathan, but you know, we all held it together. Um, but I do want to end on one note of bitterness, which is I like once again this year, and it was the 10th annual holiday cookie contest. And I once again, not only did not win, but didn't even win any category. So the Eugene Meyer Award is very nice, but next year I'm going to bake the heck um, out of things until I win the damn award. I'm very competitive. <laughs> You're going to be the Kevin McCarthy of the <laughs> holiday cookie contest. Okay, I'm going to bake okay cookies. <laughs> Congratulations, Ruth. I didn't know about that award. That's fabulous. Jonathan, well done. Thank you. And I think that's a, 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 fine, a fine point to end on. Ruth Barkas, Hugh Hewitt, as always, thanks for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Happy New Year to you both. Same to you guys. Same to you. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.